Welcome back to another episode of Awareness Action Enneagram Podcast, and I'm with my less foreman hosts. Um, <laughs> Mario Sakura and Lee Fields. Um, I didn't mean to sound, that sounded disappointed. Lee Fields. Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> yes, oh. Lee Fields is here. Oh, yeah. She's a she's a great friend of ours <laughs> and uh, of it, certified in the ATA, all the things. And um, Maria Jose is what is she doing today, Mario? I, uh, her daughter's graduating from uh, high school today. That's beautiful. So uh, she Aww. is spending the day with her. And uh, yes, so so this is an opportunity uh, for for you and I, Creek, to um, you know <laughs> see if there's a, a way different to, one, you know, upgrade yeah. and uh, try out some fresh blood. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, and 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 Lee is fresh off yeah. her attempt to steal <laughs> Drew Mosier's job on uh, Fathoms. So right, um, it's one podcast yeah. coup oh, wow. after another That's over amazing. here. Uh, Lee, in in thirty seconds uh, or less. Tell us about who you are and what what in the world are you doing in the Enneagram community? Oh, Creek, 30 seconds or less. Thank you. Mario, please ring the bell when we get <laughs> yeah, close. Um, so my name is Lee Fields. Uh, I'm geographically in Athens, Georgia, and um, I'm working with the Enneagram first and foremost with myself personally, and then that expanded into a larger purview of working with individuals and groups to try to help people relate better to themselves and reality and one another. That works. So you're geographically Good, in thanks. Georgia. Are you, where's your essential self located? Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering yeah, yeah. spiritually. Or, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I ha- would have to have more than 30 seconds to answer those things and I have yeah. to think right. about it. So There's, yeah, no pass. thinking on this episode. <laughs> um, so we're, we're going to be talking a little bit more about ATA slash Mario's view on spirituality. We're going to, again, define some more terms, get more specific. And uh, I don't know, maybe you'll learn something new about Mario. Um, he's, he's, not so, he's not so scary, turns out, in certain circumstances. Um, <laughs> can, can I just say that this topic was the brainstorm of the two of yeah, them? Yeah, yeah, so, Mar- yeah. This was not so, Mario's idea. Uh, yeah, okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. And and uh, and thank goodness Marie Jose does not listen to the podcast, um, <laughs> yes. and so we'll not hear this because I would get an earful. Oh, that's I great, think, uh, you know. After this, so I start off with in last episode you defined spirituality as the cultivation of of of. Of of wisdom. <laughs> Apparently, you don't listen to the podcast either. Creek, so. Of wisdom, yeah. efficacy, wonder, and compassion. compassion. Oddly enough, you always forget the heart sense. Yeah, well, you know, it's just so ingrained. You know, I don't need to remember those things. Um, uh-huh. But yeah. and yeah, and and I'll also say that I. That's not what I would say is my definition of spirituality because I don't really have one, mm. right? But that's what I'm trying to cultivate in my sure, life. Sure, Let's just start with wisdom. Um, how do you define wisdom? Uh, that was an interesting question when you asked me that prior to the session. Ten minutes and before. I was tempted yes. to, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, um, and I was tempted to go on Merriam-Webster and see how wisdom is you know, defined, but... 
I thought, well, what do I really think it is? And I think it's it's the application of knowledge supported by perspective and experience. Can you unpack that for us? I can. So it starts with knowledge. In order to be wise, you have to know things. Okay, you know, you have to know facts. You have to um, know ideas, so forth. You have to have something to apply. But a lot of people think that the accumulation of knowledge is the same as wisdom. And of course, it's not. Okay, uh, Otherwise, it would be called wisdom instead of knowledge. So no, uh, wisdom is what somebody gains by applying the knowledge they have with a broader perspective, right? So when I talk about, you know, supported by perspective, meaning that you see the bigger picture of how these things apply. It's not just, you know, a very limited view of things. And also there's experience involved because people seem to think, particularly in the Enneagram world, I see this all the time. And in fact, I've been engaged in a conversation or an exchange with someone recently who, uh, in his quest to type everybody in the universe and retype me, you know, uh, could not understand why I kept asking what experience do you actually have using this material? Because he doesn't have any. And so just, you know, well, why does that matter? Why can't I truly know the Enneagram better than you, by the way, Mario, without ever having actually applied it in real life in some way? And so I think, you know, look, you don't get good at anything without doing it. Yeah. So experience is a huge part of wisdom as well. Now, none of those things independently uh, are sufficient, okay? And it doesn't mean that you have to have, you know, that somebody with more experience is necessarily better. Okay? It has to be quality experience and so forth. You know, you would have to add in a lot of things when you start unpacking the whole idea. You could go on all day about what wisdom is and what are some of the elements that aid in the development of it. But for a working definition, I think that's good enough. I've studied in a lot of different Enneagram schools, right? Like all of and, them. Uh, Let's be specific. No, 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 <laughs> I have not studied in all of them. I consider that a personal challenge. <laughs> but I have found some unique qualities in, in studying with you, Mario, and some surprising ones, right? I would say that one of the things sort of speaking to your definition of wisdom, though, that I think is completely, it's so much an essential part of your teaching, which is rigor and thoroughness and specificity, right? It's a very grounded approach, right? And grounded is one of those terms that has a lot of potential meaning. So I'll go ahead and define part of what I mean by it. You define your terms, you use them consistently, you teach applicable, doing-oriented ways of working with the Enneagram, right? Okay, here's the theory. How do we do something practical with it? And I find that with your approach, whether I agree with it fully or not, I can still find a way to apply it right now, today, after the class, right? And tomorrow. <laughs> and then I have something to work with other than just this concept, a concept about a theory, right? 
I have something that's actionable and enough language in the term defining to know that we're on the same page. Like I can feel confident that I have a pretty good understanding of what you've taught or what you've said, whether I agree with it or not, and here's something to do about it. And that's pretty potent combination of things (laughs) when you've got a pretty good map pointing you in the direction, right? In other schools that I've been in, I've learned a lot of different things, but I have never learned as many how to, I have never learned how to think, how to practically apply the Enneagram as much as I have working with awareness to action. It's all statement, no question. Uh, yeah, I was, is there a point here, Lee? So, yeah. No. Uh, there is a point. Um, uh, and I'm curious to And who says I'm intimidating? I mean, come on. Right. right. And we're kind yeah, of yeah. friends. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Um, I think that part of what people could read in you is certainty might actually be simplicity, <laughs> right? I, I, I'm or laughing. Clarity. Yeah. I'm, I'm laughing, yeah. and I'll tell you because my, you know, my mother was. I'm older, certainly the Creek older than you two, Lee. But um, and so my mother was more old school, and her thing to us all the time would be, "Quit being simple." Right. So, uh, <laughs> so now I've insulted you right That's, off the bat. I, I just had a flashback. Yes, uh, and I'm, I'm expecting the wooden stu- wooden spoon to come my way any moment now. So, uh-huh. uh, but yeah, okay. So, I'm sorry. No, I meant it as a compliment. Yes, I, I, no, I, I, <laughs> right. I know. I know. Yeah. Um, but I think it comes down to you've been teaching that you've been teaching with this tool for thirty odd years, right? You clearly care about it, or you wouldn't be doing it, mm-hmm. right? Just for a second, diving sure. into your heart center, Mario. What? What? It's makes a you shallow, <laughs> shallow pool. No diving allowed. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Wade in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, um, what do you care about so much that you're willing to work with this through all the frustration and all the slings and arrows that come your way? Why do you keep showing up? <laughs> One of my favorite podcasts is um, The Rewatchables, right? It's a, a, a podcast about movies, right? They talk about rewatching. Mm-hmm. And they um, they just did an episode on an officer and a gentleman, okay? And there's that classic line where they're trying to get, the, the drill sergeant's trying to get Richard Gere to quit, and he howls out, I've got nowhere else to go. Oh. <laughs> 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 uh. That's, that's, there you go. All right. <laughs> what, I'm going to get a job? Come on, man. You know, <laughs> no. Uh, um, so I, I hate origin stories from people, right? I, I hate, oh, this is the event that changed my life or I'm the way I am because of, you know, blah, blah, blah. So this is not an origin story, but it's an illustration. The history of my life okay. and what's led it's me to my history of my life, yeah. yes. Not an origin story. Yes. It, it, it was a hot day in the summer of, you know. <laughs> no. so. Is this fiction or nonfiction? <laughs> <laughs> you know. I was riding a bull through the who's, sun, who's sun desert. <laughs> Now, look, for starters, okay, um, you know, we can't escape who we are. 
and what I mean by that is that um, you know we are the collection of our experiences. We are shaped by things. You know, obviously we can grow, we can change to some extent, etc. But the reason we study the Enneagram is because it helps us understand that there are different kinds of people. And while they can grow, they don't really change. Okay. I'm an eight, right? I mean, and everything that goes along with that is part of who I am, the good and the bad. Okay. So one of the things we know about eights is that, yeah, they're kind of certain people. Right. And part of that is because if you're striving to feel powerful, which for me is the heart of what it means to be an eight. Well, then, yeah, certainty. Right. And um, because you cannot act without certainty, power is the capacity to produce a result. If you don't have some degree of confidence in what you do, then you're not going to do. And if you're not going to do, you're never going to be powerful. Not a value judgment. It's just this is what drives me. I remember a a CEO uh, for a company that I was working with. He would tell all of his people, decide, make ten decisions a day. Two of them would be wrong, you know. Six of them would be great. Two of them would be so so. You can fix the two, okay. But if you're not going to decide, you're not going to act. Then you shouldn't be on my team. Okay. So, you know, I'm just somebody who's not comfortable with ambiguity and indecisiveness and uncertainty. This doesn't mean that I feel like I have to know the answer to everything. You know, I can just say, yeah, I don't know that. Okay. I don't have an opinion on that. I don't have an answer for that. But I'm not going, if it's something that bothers me, if it's something that keeps me awake at night because I don't have an answer, I'm going to go get an answer. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it may be a provisional answer. And I'm real big on provisional answers, right? Uh, this is going to be the, uh, the answer that I'm going to operate upon until I find out, you know, that I'm wrong or there's a better answer. Okay. Because I can't just sit there and, you know, not do, not, you know, to have things not happen. Now, there's a, a piece of this too, and this is where I was getting into the the, the origin story piece of this. Um, when I was Lee, are, do you remember the Reagan era or the Jimmy Carter era? I mean, yeah, yeah. I do. You Jimmy do. Carter is my president oh, there here you in go. Georgia. Yeah, that's right, a Georgia girl. Okay. <laughs> it was a uh, chapter so, twelve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in my elementary book. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you have, have heard, heard of those, of those people, people yes. right? Great. Yeah. Okay. okay good. They made yeah. him sell his peanut farm. <laughs> I'll just say it. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, well, you know, it's an interesting story with Carter because up until recently, uh, presidents always put their assets in a blind trust that was managed by other people. And when Carter came out of office, he realized that whoever had been managing his blind trust managed it right into the ground and he lost everything right so uh uh but anyway i bring this up because in uh, 1980 i was uh, i went to poland with my grandmother right so i'm of polish descent my grandfather had died the previous year um and we went to visit relatives now for those people like Creek, you know, who are of a certain age may not understand the significance of going to Poland in 1980, the height of the Cold mm. War, right? Um, and it was a place that people just didn't go. 
okay, from the United States, except for a very rare occasion. So I went there for a month and I ended up getting sick while I was there and pretty much spending most of the time in bed. And uh, I had one book with me. No TV in English. Nobody there spoke English. I didn't speak Polish. There was, I mean, it's just I had nothing to do except read for a big part of that time. And the book I had was called Shogun. Okay, James Clavell, 800 pages. You know, it's a doorstop of a book. Fortunately, it was a big, fat book. But I had enough time. I read it twice. <laughs> and, yeah. And, um, you sure you're not a five? <laughs> Yeah, you yeah. Go. Re- real quick. Retype yeah. him real quick. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. He reads. He's got to be a five. Yeah. Um, so um, the story of Shogun is about a uh, a Portuguese ship that lands in China. I'm sorry, Japan. And um, so most of the crew is kind of put into a prison and all this sort of stuff. But the main character, who was the pilot of the ship, the navigator, had knowledge about the world that was useful to the shogun, okay? And therefore, he was able to survive and thrive because he knew things. He knew real things. He knew practical things. And I remember very clearly, or at least I believe I remember very clearly, uh, sitting there thinking, knowledge is power, okay? I was not a big person when I was young, um, you know, I was tall, but I was really skinny. Uh, and I thought, you know, you're never going to be a particularly physically powerful person. Grew up, you know, lower, you know, middle class, blue collar sort of existence. You're probably never going to really have money for power, but you'll have knowledge or you can have knowledge. You, know, you can have understanding of how the world works. And it was not in a way that for some types is a way of creating a buffer between them and the world. But it's a way of empowering myself to get out into the world and live the life that I wanted to live. Okay, So, uh, you know, again, there's no one thing that leads to anything. But I think that captures my mindset. Okay, If I'm going to engage with the world, which is something I can't help but do, then I better be equipped intellectually from a perspective of knowledge to do so. So I think that's what drives me. And I forget what your question was, but I, I enjoyed yeah, telling no, that little story. Yeah. Down we need more of those yeah. in the podcast yeah. for sure. Um. I'll tell you a quick story just on the Poland thing, right? In 1980, the U.S. boycotted the Moscow Olympics. Okay, And I was with relatives and we were driving you know, from one side of Poland to the next uh, one day, or at least it felt like that. And uh, we're driving down this country road. And up ahead of us, I see these two Mercedes driving toward us with the Olympic flag, okay? And behind these cars is a guy running with the Olympic torch for the 1980 Moscow Olympics, right? Through the, you know, the middle of nowhere in Poland, uh, so I probably may be one of the few Americans who got to see wow. the Olympic torch <laughs> that year. Oh. So, so when you were reading that book, this this moment of knowledge is power, and then you also said something of like you're not great with ambiguity, but that doesn't mean that you have to know everything. We we kind of spoke about wonder in the last episode, but could you talk a little bit more about that pillar as it relates to knowledge um, and wonder and how often those two seem to be in tension 
but they don't have to be. Yeah, I, th- I think, so I think wonder transcends knowledge. It's independent of knowledge, right? I mean, I, there's things that I know that I hold in wonder as well, right? I mean, I look up at the stars and I know what they are, but I'm still awestruck, okay? Now, of course, I don't really know what they are, right? I mean, I, you know, I mean, because we keep learning more and, and all of that. So, uh, so uh, there's a difference between ignorance and ambiguity, I think, right? Ambiguity means that there's an open question that needs to be resolved. Whereas ignorance is just, yeah, I just don't know that. And so I don't have the data upon which to make a judgment. I remember, I remember talking to a relative um, when there was the, um, the police killing of a black man in, was it East St. Louis maybe or um, somewhere some years ago? And uh, it was around Thanksgiving time and a relative is saying to me, so what do you think about that case? Do you think the cop did it? And my response was, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, you know I, I really haven't been following it. I don't know the details. I don't know the evidence of it. I know about it, but I, I, how, how could I have an opinion on you know, whether he's guilty or not? And this person said to me, well, you got to have an opinion. <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, actually, I, I, no, I don't. And he says, well, everybody has an opinion on it. And I said, yeah, well, I, I, I don't. I mean, you know, how, how can I have an opinion? on something like that, right? But most people feel the need to have an opinion. So so becoming comfortable with, yeah, you know what? I, I don't know enough about that to have an opinion is different from ambiguity, okay? Because for me, ambiguity is like, eh, you know, could be this, could be that. And I really need to decide on this because it impacts me somehow or, you know, it's, or it's getting in the way it's funny. I, I wish um, Maria Jose was here so she could tell this story. But we were with friends in um, in Belgium once, and we might have even told this story on the podcast once. But we were trying to decide um, what to do next. Right? These friends had taken us out for a really lovely day of sightseeing and here and there. And they said, "You know what? You can go here. We can go here. We can go there." You know. And and I said, "No, I don't care." And I was half asleep. Right? And they're kind of talking through it and well you know should we go here should we go there blah 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 you know should we go to the market or should we go out to the country you know and they're you know and it's like and i said go to the market uh, you know and and they were kind of like shocked you know and maria jose starts laughing and says yeah he doesn't do ambiguity well right so yeah. Uh, yeah. so so you know so for me it's like okay you're you're wasting my time here Right. And that, now, again, not a criticism of the lovely guys, and they were just trying to do the right thing. But come on, man, make a decision, right? Move on. So, so for me, that's the difference there. Now, when it comes to wonder, you know, wonder is just the ability to step back and see, you know, and, and, and this comes from curiosity and rigor, I think. To be able to sit back and say, man, you know what? That is really cool. And I still don't get it. Or again, I do get it, but it's like, man, how cool yeah. is that? Okay. So I think true wonder comes from insight and knowledge rather than, you know, gremlins did it. 
Okay. What's, what's interesting about that, right? What, what do I wonder about that if I know the gremlins did it? Okay. There's, there's a great video that people can Google uh, by Richard Feynman. Or it's a picture, a video of Richard Feynman, the uh, great physicist. For those of you who saw Oppenheimer, he was the young kid occasionally playing bongos at the parties in Oppenheimer, but who wasn't hmm. mentioned at all. So uh, uh, he, he was a fascinating guy. And he tells this story. It's called The Rose. And he says how a poet friend of his says, yeah, you scientists, you know, you don't, you don't appreciate the beauty of a rose like us poets do. And Feynman says, eh, you know, maybe I don't have your aesthetic abilities and maybe I couldn't describe it in the way that you could, but I can appreciate the beauty of it. And I understand photosynthesis and I understand why there are these colors and what the evolutionary advantages of that are. And I understand the molecular components of this, right? And so his point was that my knowledge fills me with even more awe and wonder than just, oh, well, you know, it's magic. I'd like to uh, open a can of worms here after that beautiful <laughs> imagery. Um uh, and and I want to language something, but Mario, hearing you tell the story about you being in Poland with the book, and then this story, and languaging all of that, I think in another context, in another school, we could put a template on that, that that is spirituality in the Enneagram, right? This is how you work with that practically in real life. You see this other person's perspective. You see Fenneman has this other beauty that he's seeing because of his understanding of how plants work, right? It's not just the beautiful words or the language, but it's the process. It's, it makes it even deeper. You say, I can look at the stars and recognize the stars. Well, Carl Sagan understands the stars differently, mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that your experience of the stars is any less awe-inspiring or wonder-filled, but a thing that's coming up for me here, and I've, I've, this is a sort of a unifying thread in Enneagram work that I've done in schools that I've learned, and an ongoing conversation with Creek and I, is part of how you do Enneagram work, unquote, right, is to practice discomfort, right, practice unfamiliar things, expand your ability to stay with those things where you can have a broader experience of reality, right? And I think one of the things that your approach offers to that effort is beautifully languaging what might be happening, right? Instead of everybody's own self-concept, let's use these terms in this way and explore it together, right? Let's, uh, let's same page where then we can see what else comes up. And I'm curious if you experience that as a teacher, right? But also as a participant in the, the rooms that you're teaching, how you experience that pursuit of expansion. You know, it, it's interesting to me because my reaction to this and and um is is kind of 
isn't this what we're supposed to do? Right. You know, and, and when you were describing my approach versus other approaches, shouldn't we be trying to get uncomfortable and expand and grow? And if we're calling ourselves seekers after truth, shouldn't we challenge our beliefs, the beliefs of others to get closer to what's true? Because you, you don't get closer to what's true by believing things. You get closer to what's true by getting rid of things. Okay, it's just, you know, very simple. That's the whole idea of falsification that Crete identified. And, you know, so I, you know, we, we can never really fully understand what those twinkling lights in the sky are until we start getting rid of our assumptions about what they are that are wrong. I mean, the medieval belief was that, uh, you know, they were pinpricks in, you know, the, the tapestry of, you know, the, the night sky or something. Well, okay, good enough for me. Sure. Right? <laughs> you know, okay, okay. You know, you know. Uh, or we can say, yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Okay, and here's why I think that's wrong. And which says, okay, now that we know they're not that, what are they? And that keeps taking us closer. What's striking me here is here's some level of pushback in my head of people like, well, my experience is this. And if we're talking about the experience of the stars, like their experience is like makes the most sense of, of pin pinpricks in the night sky. And that's all the that's all the data they had available. But then as we continue to expand our experience of what the stars were we get more data and we're able to have a clearer picture of what they are. And so, yeah, this, in some ways the, the star example works. It also is, is everyone can agree. Like we're, we're never probably going to get to those stars necessarily, but when it comes to whether it's sense of self or you name any other sort of belief, it's like my experience of this is that it's true. And I think from my perspective, it's like, yes, but what more can be experienced within that, that, that can more clarify what it is you are experiencing. It's been showed time after time of like what we experience (laughs) is, is often very far from what's actually happening. That the phrase that comes up for me is it's real, but it's not true. Uh, um, like what I experience as sadness in my chest is, is real, but it's not, there's not an actual thing called sadness in my chest, real, but not true. I'm a practitioner. Okay. So my job is to help people to expand people's capacities, which involves expanding their ability to think about things and name things more accurately and, you know, to get more skillful at acting in the world, which involves being a more skillful thinker, which involves being more emotionally intelligent. Okay. So I am doing my job, right? Now, if you come to me and say, you know, this is what I'm feeling in my chest. So it's, right for me okay 
I, okay, you know, it's none of my business, right? So we always have to, and again, for me, I, I, I try to make such a clear distinction between subjective experience and objective knowledge or facts, okay? Mm-hmm. You tell me your tooth hurts, I, I get, you know, I get, okay, I, I've got no reason not to believe you. I've got no way of not, of disproving what you're saying. Okay. If you're telling me you got 64 teeth in your mouth, I can say, okay, open up, let's count them. Right. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> I, 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 you know, you know, once sure. you get into an analogy, you got to run with it. And, yeah. you know, sometimes it takes you in a really bad place, you know, but uh, uh, anyway, <laughs> so. <laughs> And when the teeth have cavities, like, so, is that still a tooth? You know, are you getting? <laughs> is a cap count twice? Yeah. <laughs> so, so again, you know, there's a subjective claim, which okay, your tooth hurts. Um, you know, what can I do to help? Yeah, you know, you you want some, you know, or a gel? You know, you want uh, you know some Advil? You know, you know whatever. I, I, okay. But if you're under the illusion I've got 64 teeth in my mouth, you know, 64 teeth in my mouth, and therefore my mouth is, you know, better than somebody else's mouth or, you know, more efficient at consuming, you know, root vegetables, <laughs> um, like turnips. Uh, there it is, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Way callback. Right. <laughs> uh, 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 yeah. It's, you know, I, I got to call you out on that, you know, I mean, if, you know, and say, well, you know, maybe mm-hmm. the problem is something else. Okay. Yeah. Because there aren't 64 teeth in there. So, so you know, so what, again, I, I, what I feel like I'm hearing is like this, again, this cultivation of compassion of like, ah, oh, I hear, I hear that, sh- that you're having a problem with your teeth. Let's figure that out and have an effective yeah. efficacy way of dealing with it. Yeah. And to your point, mm-hmm. I can, I can do an x-ray. Right. And that'll give me some data. Maybe the x-ray will show me something and maybe it won't. I I remember years ago having, um, you know, I went through a period where I I started getting shortness of breath and chest pains and, you know, this sort of thing. And, you know, and I thought, "Hmm, this is not good. You know, I was. So you started smoking cigars. Got it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh. (laughs) <laughs> let's test this look I, 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 I you know i'm rigorous i may not be smart but you know it's a, you know so so uh, so you know so what does the doctor do right i mean it's like okay well you know that's not a great sign um so let's do some tests you know and they did tests and they couldn't find anything wrong and they said okay well we don't see anything but you know, this still is not what you should be feeling. So let's do some more tests, you know, and eventually they did some tests where they found something and, you know, it turned out to not be a big deal. But, but the idea is that they didn't say, oh no, you don't feel any pain, you know, nor did they rush me into some treatment. Okay. They kind of followed a process and a protocol of, okay, well, let's evaluate the evidence and let's see where this takes us. And let's, again, let's get closer to the truth, you know? So, yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess to me, this all just seems so sure. self-evident, right? Uh, yeah. you know, well, yeah. you know. To, <clears throat> now there's just a gap between what is and what ought to be. 
It should be self-evident, mm-hmm. but it isn't necessarily, right? Well, this, this is true. I mean, and that's an excellent point, right? Because, again, one of the things we teach is that humans are not wired to see clearly, right? As some of the Enneagram tells us, it's what all the wisdom traditions tell us, it's what all the sciences tell us. Humans mm-hmm. see through filters, and so they need technology and they need tools and they need this, right? You know, so, uh, but, you know, I don't know, To since we're short on time here, you know, I, I want to get back to this thing about being difficult to engage with or something like that, right? I mean, because, you know, I mean, I think you guys know from being in our trainings, we, you know, treat mm-hmm. people well and, you know, embrace different points of view and respect different points of view. And, you know, my view is always, you know, believe what you want. I, you know, it's not in my business. I will share with you what I believe and you can take it or leave it. And if you want to disagree with me on something I believe or teach, then that's fine too. Back it up. Right. I mean, you know, it's, it's one of these things, you know, on social media, I don't go into other people's playgrounds and, throw rocks at them or anything, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, but, you know, come on to mine, then, you know, okay. Yeah. Well, you know, Here let's the rules hash the this through, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. You know, argue, truth springs from argument, argument amongst yeah. friends, right? So, and I will say, as a student, and since this might be my only Doubtful. podcast appearance here, um, <laughs> well, I don't know. You, you do, you're I don't doing know. all right, dear Lisa. All right, right. maybe. Yeah, Maria was much better internet for a job back for sure. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> I found you to be an incredibly generous person with your time, with your thoughts, and with hearing mine or other people's. And it might be that that might not, other people's impression may not read that way straight off, but I would endorse your generosity as one of a, a core feature of yours, actually. A lot more patience than you might be given credit for. I would agree. So. Yeah. Uh, well, that, that's kind of you, and 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 the whiskey helps. Um, you know, and the cigars. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so. Well, you know, know yeah. the rules of engagement. Come on, I mean. It's like, oh god, I gotta listen yeah. to this again. Oh, where's that right. bottle? You know, yeah. um, well, Mario Lee, thank you so much for this. This is this is wonderful. I- but listener, thanks for thanks for tuning in. Um, if you'd like more of these episodes where we're just kind of chatting about what comes to mind and hearing Mario's random stories, then then uh, yeah, let us know. <laughs> Some of which are even true. Yeah. Some of and which. And without your listener, true. we'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening to the Awareness to Action Enneagram podcast. If you're interested in more information or talking to Mario, MJ, or myself, feel free to reach out to us through the links in the show notes or by emailing info at awarenesstoaction.com. All episode transcriptions and further information can be found at awarenesstoaction.com slash podcast.